You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Episode of the Book of Nature podcast. This is episode four, Faith and Reason. All your questions about the faith and reason and their conflicts and congruences will be answered definitively by the end of the episode, so stay tuned. <clears throat> and uh, with me today are my two cohorts. Uh, we have uh, coming at you from uh, Decorah, Iowa at Luther College is uh, Todd Pedler, professor of physics. How's the weather there, Todd? Uh, well, T.S. Eliot said April is the cruelest month, but I tend to think he's wrong. I think it's February. Um, oh, it's ah, – what is it? About 20 degrees, I guess. It's not too bad, but it's very wet. We've got freezing rain coming down on top of snow. So um, it's Always a fun. joyous time. Oh, yes. Freezing rain on top of snow, snow on top of freezing rain, either one's bad. Well, the sandwich is really bad, right? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> we get a lot of those in February, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we also have on the line uh, Charles Hackney, who's uh, from, and from Saskatchewan at Briarcrest College, and I, again, completely forgot the name of your town. Um, but how's the weather up there, Charles? Well, the name of the town is Karenport, Saskatchewan. Karenport. I will remember yes. that. You 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 fail geography. I do. Um, the weather's pretty. Uh, the, the weather's not bad. We're having a, a fairly mild um, winter uh, compared to some of the other ones. Uh, mostly dry, deep freeze rather than uh, serious precipitation. Um, mm-hmm. As for how we're doing, the entire family was struck down by a virus recently, uh, but we're on the uphill side of that. Uh, I have gotten my voice back. Uh, and, uh, the kids have their energy back, so yay, sort of, yay. Um, excellent. It depends on what time of day it is that, <laughs> that's right. How you react. Indeed. Well, um, and, uh, who you've been listening to, um, who is the host of your episode today is, uh, my name is Dan Dawson. I am a research scientist at the Center for Analysis and Prediction of Storms in, uh, Norman, Oklahoma. And the weather here is relatively mild. We've been getting, actually the last couple of days, been getting up into the 70s, and it's been dry and windy. Today it's a little bit cooler, but still dry. Maybe some rain on the horizon, but I'm not holding my breath. Also, we've been having some issues with sickness in our family, but I think things are starting to get better. Anyway, let's move on to uh, listener feedback. Do we have any? Uh, well, we have not had uh, any uh, emails at our Gmail account. Uh, so, listeners, if you have something to say, bookofnaturepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Indeed. Please. And, again, uh, apologize for um, not having uh, an episode. We, we wanted to plan to have an episode every month, 
and this particular episode was supposed to be recorded um, in December before the break, but numerous scheduling conflicts got in the way. Whatever gremlin has been affecting the Christian Humanist podcast, who's on our same network, uh, has also paid us a visit. So uh, our future plans continue to be about one episode a month. So uh, again, apologize for the long hiatus. <clears throat> Well, as far um, – we don't have any uh, emails apparently, but we did have some people uh, posting about us um, on the Christian Humanist uh, podcast Facebook asking where we were, Chen Boulay in particular, and well, we're still here. I did make a post and reply to him, but he asked uh, some questions about what we thought about a few different topics, and one of them was uh, uh, creationism, particularly young earth creationism. Is the earth 6,000 years old like Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis think? And I think that is something we'll definitely discuss in a future episode. He also asked about uh, climate change, uh, global warming, are humans causing it or not? I think that's also on the docket for a future episode. And finally, wanted to know about our thoughts on uh, post-apocalyptic or disaster scenarios um, from a scientific perspective. And actually, I think that might be coming sooner rather than later. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for news on that. <clears throat> but I think it's time to uh, start our and get to our main topic of, of the episode. Well, today's topic is faith, and in particular, how faith relates to its erstwhile neighbor reason. Now, um, this is obviously a huge and perennial topic, so we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. So I lied when I said we would answer all your questions definitively, but hopefully we'll we'll be able to get somewhere with it, get you thinking, open up some interesting questions and thoughts. Um, and I think this topic is going to be coming up quite a bit in future episodes in one form or the other, but I thought it would be a good idea to at least get the ball rolling with an episode dedicated to it. So um, – Todd, uh, I'm going to pitch my first question at you, but before I do that, I'd like to start with uh, a few definitions of faith that I found out there, and uh, I'm going to start with a dictionary definition. Um, this one was from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, that defines faith as, well, a few different things, but main, main uh, two are, one, an allegiance to a duty or a person fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions. Um, a secondary definition is belief and trust and loyalty to God or belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion along these same lines, firm belief in something for which there is no proof and complete trust. And then finally, something that is believed especially with strong conviction, especially a system of religious beliefs, for example, the Protestant faith. So that's sort of uh, what we see in the dictionary. What about uh, in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, perhaps the most offsided verse on faith is uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, um, which states, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's from the King James. Um, faith in this verse is translated from the Greek word, and I have no idea how to pronounce this, so I'm going to give it a shot. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It's <laughs> pistis, pistis, um, pistis, yes, pistis. pistis. Okay, which, according to Wikipedia, that source of unassailable knowledge, is a noun-verb <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> 
that doesn't translate easily into English owing to how it functions in a complex way when used in different contexts. So I don't know anything about Greek. I'm not a Greek uh, scholar, except in as much that Greek letters are used pretty copiously in equations and symbols for various meteorological quantities and processes. So whenever I think Greek letters, I'm thinking immediately of what they represent in meteorology, and that's about it. But maybe, uh, Todd, you or Charles may have some more background, so feel free to jump in with any of that um, once I uh, pitch this to you. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to take a few moments discussing this dictionary definition or definitions of faith and the definition that is found in the this Hebrew verse. And uh, just in particular, do these definitions adequately convey how faith is used or thought about in popular language and context these days, or even in the past, um, it's up to you. And uh, what do you think the author of Hebrews was talking about when he talked about faith being both a substance and evidence for something else, like in this case, things not seen? Otherwise, take it in any direction you want. Okay, well, I... What I think I'd like to do is is throw out several things and then open it up for you guys to bounce back on. Um, with first, with respect to the to to the word uh, pistis in in Hebrews eleven one, I I I don't as as we already laughed about it. I don't Wikipedia is not all that helpful. Um, in fact, I I I meant to go look up. Yeah, the Wikipedia article to find out about this noun verb hybrid thing that I've never heard of in my life. Um, I, I mean, I've studied I've studied some Greek. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be. Um, but the word pistis itself is a noun. It's it, and, but the trick is, as is so common for Greek words, it's got a fairly wide semantic range it, it it does mean some things in different contexts uh, it, like like again many words in greek or any other language we want to translate to english um the related verb is 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 not pistis it's pistuo uh per, which is translated as believe or trust or have confidence in or be worthy of confidence um so the concept represented by pistis and the verb pistuo is a trusting or a placing in co a confidence in or belief um and often connected with belief of the of the words or the promises or the claims of another um and so i mean as such probably the closest of the definitions to that which we ought to be discussing is is the second of these um which you gave, which was the well, it was several definitions put in uh, under under one single number: belief and trust and loyalty to God, or firm belief in something for which there is no proof, or complete trust. Now we can uh, wrangle with those definitions a little bit, and I think we will. Um, uh, really, the best is is this last one: this firm belief. I mean, just having to do with firm belief or complete trust. I'm not sure that Hebrews 11:1. 1, uh, defines faith so much as it describes its function and how it plays out in the lives of people who have it. Um, as I see what's what's going on there, it's it's not faith in general really either. It's it's really if you look at the context of, of the end of Hebrews 10 and and the beginning of Hebrews 11, it's 
it's what we would call uh, as Christians justifying faith or saving faith. Um, uh, in other words, the utter trust in Christ that is characteristic of 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 Christian believers. So what is given here really is the principal acts or effects of that saving faith, um, and not a definition per se. And, it, and it's really interesting to me, actually, that the 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 idea of evidence is brought in right here um, in in this uh, this description of the outworking of faith. Um, I think uh, you know the, the the I guess the short answer is, uh, with regard to whether what we see in Hebrews eleven one as um, uh you know as compared to the dictionary definition i think we limit it to the 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 what we have talked about we we are really are talking about the same uh the same thing one of the very interesting things as i looked into this um uh, is the way in which the greek word is rendered um as sometimes proof um sometimes it's rendered in in that way as as that which evokes Trust, um, which throws a whole new wrinkle into the discussion, I think. Um, faith, as you noted, and as I think we will talk about in much of what we have to say today, faith seems to be viewed by the broader public as being completely devoid of and divorced from reason. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that's, that's going to be a subject for us, uh, to, for us to take up. Um, in 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 going a little bit further, I want to. I guess I well, won't, let me ask you guys this, and and we'll see if this is helpful for our later discussion. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. So I I want a response. Do you believe that Pluto orbits the sun with a period of 248 years? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why? Why do you believe that? Based on evidence from astronomical observations and uh, how that evidence has been uh, explained and and uh, codified in uh, in text. Okay. And, and so taking taking it on the the testimony of those who actually study Pluto. Okay, so you didn't collect it yourself. Right. Okay. Um, do you believe that three quarks are bound up together to make up a proton? Yep. Yeah, and again, I presume that you, in your backyard accelerator, haven't reached energies where you could study this phenomenon. No, not quite. <laughs> okay. How about how about this? Do you do you believe that Julius Caesar was a real person who ruled the Roman Empire and was killed by Brutus? Yes. Why? Again, based on the testimony of uh, those uh, folks who are experts in those areas and have gathered a bunch of evidence. Sure. So, but you yourself don't possess that evidence, really. You're you're taking the word of those who have the evidence, who have constructed it and interpreted it in some cases. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. There, go ahead. There was that one time that the doctor showed up and gave me a ride in the TARDIS uh, and <laughs> uh, did get to meet the man. Uh, lovely person. Shame about what happened to him. <laughs> and you also were shot at, right? I, uh, oh, of course. So, yes. <laughs> so now, yeah, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're getting at, and and uh, yeah, I totally, um, I, I totally, I totally understand that that perspective. And actually, just to 
just to say one thing about what you said there about uh, Hebrews not giving a definition that I, I really like what you did there. Um, when I just when I thought about it, I just kind of assumed that was a definition. But the way you explained it um, really does make a lot of sense. Yeah, well, it's not really trying to make a definition there. But that's just some aside that I noticed in your response. So I appreciate yeah. that. That's well, good. I- yeah, and I, and I and I really I appreciate actually the question because it it got me back into some of my Bible software and I and I and I played around with the Greek and 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 looked deep you know more deeply into these things um, with another couple of the words too which I I, I do want to, uh, to to toss in here a little bit later but uh, my my main point for bringing these questions up is is that um, the things that I mentioned are well grounded beliefs. And things that we believe based on uh, some combination of evidence and authority. And I, and I think that's really important for us. It's for, important for us to, to consider as we understand what, um, you know, fa- there, there's, there's, there's a real overlapping melange of ideas when you bring faith together with belief, together with knowledge, with, with trust. And then, Ask about the object of those things, um, and so you know that. That said, I want to play a little bit more with the last bit of of Hebrews eleven one, and then maybe you and Charles can weigh in some more. But um, it is yeah, with with regard to the some of the other words in that verse Hebrews uh, from from Hebrews eleven. Um, uh, hypostasis or hypostasis is a word that is found there, which the King James translates as substance, um, uh, the substance of things hoped for. Um, and in literal terms, I, you know, I, I, I think maybe the better word is subsistence, uh, because hypostasis is the word in the Nicene Creed when it, uh, that uses when it is confessed that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, there is a, an existence. So, you know, faith brings things into existence in, in some sense. It's not a physical existence, but it's a, uh, a, a real existence nevertheless. Um, by using that word, uh, Paul is saying, I think, something deeper about what faith does. Um, another word in, uh, in this verse is elenkos, which is translated as evidence, the evidence of things not seen. Um, and that word... Uh, has to do with the proving or the proof of things. It's, uh, it's something of a legal term, which, um, you know, evidence that is presented or the act of evidence of presenting evidence, um, is, is related to this Greek word. And so we have faith acting to produce in some sense, um, something which is tangible and something which is evidentiary, um, in its role. And um, so, again, I, I'm appreciative that you brought that verse in. Um, I, I, th- I think it's I think it's helpful to 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 think about it. So just my sort of closing, I guess, closing uh, bit here is um, to remind you of a couple of things. One, faith in the Bible is not contrasted with reason. It is never contrasted, to my knowledge anyway, with reason. Um the chief thing that it's contrasted with is sight. 
And um, it's interesting that this verse, again, brings faith and sight together. Yes. Um, but uh, and I think that's fruit. You know, there, there's fruitful discussion to be had there with that with that distinction. Um, but, uh, you know, the second thing, I guess, is just to close up that, you know, and we'll talk about this in the next question. I know we have to as Christians and especially as Christians who are academics and in the sciences, we really got to proclaim our faith as a reasoned faith and a reasonable faith. There's no, you know, divorcing of those two uh, characteristics. Coming to belief and coming to trust is very much an act of reason. Um, but uh, I'm wandering down a path that we need to to, to go down another time. So, oh, open it absolutely. Up that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, and I I I, I very much ag- agree with your sentiment there at the end about how we have to present our faith as a reasoned faith and also agree that there is no contrast between between reason and faith presented anywhere in the scripture. Um, now I, and the reason I brought up the Hebrews verse is because I've just always been fascinated by it and I was hoping, and I'm glad that you were able to expound on it and help clarify a little bit of it for me because it not only was it fascinating for me, but also I never could quite wrap my head around what, what the author was trying to say there. So, and I'm just particularly fascinated by the, it talking about it as the evidence of things not seen. And, uh, so it's just one of those verses that just always is with me. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so that's really interesting. Um, I think we could probably bring that back in later and talk about that more if we have, if sure. we have time. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's, uh, move on. Um, I'm going to pitch the, the next, actually a two-parter question. I'm going to, pitch the next part to uh, Charles. So Charles, you're a psychologist, um, and uh, it occurs to me that you might have something of a unique perspective on faith in this regard, uh, since faith is something that uh, is a mental activity that's tied up in our psychology. So uh, can you uh, tell us how psychologists typically view faith and how individuals practice faith from the perspective of psychology. When, when psychologists study um, faith in individuals, how do they see people as practicing it? Is it, for example, considered a quote-unquote legitimate mode of thinking, or is it viewed as some sort of pathology? I'm bringing up making a dichotomy on purpose, which I'm pretty sure is a false one, but hopefully it will uh, give you something to uh, go on. Am I even asking the questions correctly? Am I asking the right questions? Uh, well, um, there are some connections that I want to make a little bit uh, later in a, a later section of this. But um, interestingly, uh, so for the most part, uh, psychologists have not uh, tended to directly address faith uh, as we have seen it described. Um, the one who has most directly addressed faith would be uh, the psychologist James Fowler, uh, who created a theory of faith development. Um, faith, it, how Fowler defines faith is the construction of a personal framework by which we render the world coherent and meaningful. Uh, so if we go back to the um, multi-part definition that uh, you presented, that might fall more strongly within the third possible uh, definition of faith. Uh, faith is a thing that is believed, especially with strong convictions. So uh, it is a conceptual system that uh, that a person could believe. 
Uh, and what Fowler wants to do is he wants to talk about uh, progressing from more immature uh, ways of believing uh, to more mature ways of believing. Uh, but faith as a mode of thinking is generally not addressed. Um, now, it, it, in my own area, in uh, positive psychology, in one of the major reference volumes that I use, uh, Character Strengths and Virtues, uh, Peterson and Seligman, 2004. That's right, listeners. Even when I talk, I use APA formatted citations. Uh, if I look up faith in the index of Character Strengths and Virtues, uh, what it says is, See spirituality, which would take us in the uh, different direction uh, for this discussion. Uh, as to whether or not it's seen as uh, legitimate or as a pathology, uh, most of what we would be looking at is uh, the psychology of religion, uh, research examining connections, correlations between how religious or spiritual a person is uh, and corresponding degrees of mental health. Uh, the overwhelming majority of studies have shown uh, greater religiousness to be associated with better psychological function. Now, that being said, it does get complicated. Uh, and I published a meta-analysis back in 2003 on religiosity and mental health, uh, and the results varied. I'm not going to get too much into the details now. That might be a thing for some other time, but... Uh, it gets complicated. But overall, uh, overall, there was a positive correlation between religion and better mental health. Okay, uh, great. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pitch the second part of this question uh, to you as well. But, of course, Todd can feel free to chime in anyway, any time. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, when talking about faith in our society, and I'm thinking particularly – Western society, um, at least when it comes to how it should be thought of in intellectual terms, uh, you won't get very far before you start butting up against this other word, reason, which we sort of touched on in the previous question where we talked about how uh, Christians probably shouldn't – we should be – we should be presenting our faith as a reasoned faith. But in our society, at least, it seems like they're very much at loggerheads in many uh, circles. So um, I'm going to – Step back again and give uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of reason. I'll go through this real quickly, but uh, by far the, 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 the first uh, definition is a cause, explanation, or justification for an action or event. Um, a good or obvious cause to do something, uh, premise of an argument in support of a belief, especially a minor premise when given after the conclusion. Uh, the power of the mind to think, understand. This is the second definition. The power of the mind to think, understand, and form judgments by a process of logic. And uh, it goes on from there, but that gives you the idea. Um, so uh, connecting this with what you said about psychology and faith, can you uh, say anything about these definitions of reason? and how they might dovetail with faith. Um, and again, uh, this is an open-ended question, so if I'm asking even the wrong questions, feel free to just take it wherever you want to. But I'm especially thinking about the logical version above, that is the, a premise of an argument in support of a belief. Um, so uh, you also might want to maybe bring in Second uh, Peter 3.15 here if you want it. So go for it. Okay. Um <clears throat> so um the I 
the idea of beliefs based on reason uh, set in distinction to beliefs based on faith. Now, th- this is one where uh, at least one prominent psychologist has weighed in on this, and this gets interesting. So um, the idea of beliefs based on reason uh, plays a large role in the work of Albert Ellis. A uh, psychologist who who has himself had a, an inter- interesting relationship with religion. Uh, Ellis is the creator of rational emotive behavior therapy. Uh, and rational emotive behavior theory is based on the idea that uh, the cause of one's psychological problems is irrational beliefs, beliefs that are not based on reason. So things like, uh, I always have to be right, or if I'm not married by age 30, I'll never be happy. Uh, so unhealthy beliefs, um, in, in, they are typically rigid, extreme. Uh, they're making absolute demands, catastrophic consequences. Uh, and therapy within this approach uh, will involve challenging the reasonableness of these beliefs uh, and replacing them with beliefs that are more flexible, more realistic, uh, more logical, more reasonable. So in so uh uh, a more a healthier version of one of these uh, the earlier examples I give might be I want to be married by age 30 but I can still be happy and live a good life if even if I'm not uh, so worked into the very definition of Ellis's uh, approach to mental health is beliefs based on reason now what makes this interesting here uh, is that from the very beginning of his career, uh, Ellis included religious beliefs among the irrational beliefs. As he did not see them being based on reason or evidence, and also because they do tend to be absolute. So uh, when we say one must obey God, uh, we, we, we do kind of mean that. Uh, and there are catastrophic consequences, so things like damnation. Uh, that's pretty catastrophic. <clears throat> so... As a consequence, Ellis had argued that the less religious people are, the more emotionally healthy they'll tend to be, uh, and that it's the task of the, the psychotherapist to, and I'm using his term, his own, to uninvent God in the client's lives. Uh, and now, and every once in a while, uh, you might encounter, uh, you know, if you're kicking around certain uh, certain domains of the internet or some. Um, uh, an aggressive atheist or two uh, who will invoke Ellis uh, as an argument against religion. As a matter of fact, uh, Ellis uh, published a book in the 80s, uh, Psychotherapist's Case Against Religion. But thing is, though, um, Ellis's views on religion changed considerably over the years. So if you want to ask what Ellis actually thinks of religion, you have to specify when. Um and it ends up being such that we can break it down into uh, some 20-year-ish intervals. So early career, uh, Albert Ellis, uh, 1960s, late, 19, late 50s, early 1960s. Uh, Ellis is at his most stridently anti-religious, um, publishing an article in which he claims that the very concept of God leads to neurosis. Now, we move ahead a bit. Um, in the in the end, I'm I'm restraining myself. There's I, I could go off for hours on this. Um, now we we jump ahead to the 80s. Uh, Ellis has moderated his tone, so now he claims that religion in itself is not the problem. Uh, devoutness is the problem. So liberal believers are okay. 
because liberal b- religion doesn't really make the same kind of absolute claims. Uh, and he also adds in that secular dogmatisms, uh, he picks on Marxism, are just as bad as religious dogmatism. So a devout Marxist and a devout Christian should be equally unhealthy. We move ahead and – yeah, but the, the, the plot gets more thicker. Uh, we move ahead another 20 years, and Ellis publishes an article in 2000, uh, about seven years before his death, and he states that – okay, you know, he, he, he's, he's changed his mind again, and now even devout religion is entirely compatible with mental health. Uh, and uh, th- th- this change in Ellis's thought – uh, came from a few different sources. First off, uh, Ellis had been reading the empirical research literature in the psychology of religion that I, I uh, alluded to earlier, uh, and he couldn't escape the conclusion that the general correlation between religiosity and mental health is positive. So his claim that the more religious people are, the less emotionally healthy they'll tend to be is not supported by the evidence. Uh, and it took him about 40 years, but he finally bowed to the evidence. Uh, further, as rational emotive behavior therapy uh, gained in popularity, uh, Ellis kept encountering mentally healthy religious clients. Uh, his colleagues in rational emotive behavior therapy kept encountering mentally healthy religious clients. Uh, and, uh, and, and all these intelligent, highly educated, religiously active therapists and pastoral counselors kept signing up for rational emotive behavior therapy training and doing very well at it. So in, in this last stage of his career, he even co-authored a book with two religiously active psychotherapists on counseling and psychotherapy with religious clients. Uh, so uh, most m- most other psychologists have not weighed in on the idea of faith and reason uh, being antagonistic. Ellis would be the only one who was the big, the, the, the strongest, most powerful voice in this. Um, but even he you know, changed his mind over the years. So you would say then that it's safe to say that uh, in in psychology, when this subject does come up, that it's generally not seen as necessarily a conflicting uh, faith and reason to be in conflict. Not necessarily. I mean, uh, you will encounter specific individual psychologists who are uh, stridently atheist, and even Ellis himself in, in his later publications, uh, even though he's saying it's entirely possible to be mentally healthy and religious, uh, atheism is, st- is still better and everybody really should be an atheist. Um, but in terms of uh, mainstream publications, uh, the, uh, the research literature and uh, the advice that is given to practitioners, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really not seen as contradictory all right well that was really fascinating oh and uh by the way um uh, that was supposed to be uh first peter 315 which maybe will come will come up next but i think todd you wanted to say something there (laughs) well no i i was just going to ask charles to go on a little bit more because is this um is the rise of a more strident um I don't want to be too specific and say anti-Christianity, but uh, you know, a, 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 a violent reaction to uh, religious faith in general. Does that coincide with anything earlier in the century? I mean, is there a, is there a rise in this around the turn of the 20th century? Um, 
and you know Freudian ideas and the whole Freud Adler debate and all this. I mean, or what? Is there a connection there, or is this something that's later? Uh, I, I would say that there have been uh, waves that have sort of come and gone. Um, if we take a look at uh, late 19th, early 20th century psychology, uh, you do find uh, certain voices um, that w- we, we might recognize as, as, as stridently anti-theistic and uh, you know, saying some things that are congruent with uh, some of the stuff that we hear from, uh, from the new atheists uh, mm-hmm. more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get... Uh, Oh, I'm trying. I, 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 I'd have to check my notes on this. I'm doing this off the cuff. I believe it was mm-hmm. John Watson, um, co-authored a book um, in which he, he he pretty much lays out uh, a a very uh, um, scientific progressive uh, view of things. That you know, uh, time used to be that uh, we thought that. Uh, there was a, 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 a spiritual side to existence and there was a God and stuff. But now we are, uh, you know, sticking our toe into the first part of the 20th century, uh, and we are making all of these impressive scientific discoveries, uh, and religion should be dead any time now because it's, uh, uh, it, it is being overturned uh, by this uh, scientific development, and as uh, psychology <laughs> establishes itself as an empirical discipline, uh, it will certainly show uh, the falseness of uh, 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 of religious beliefs. That, I mean, you you can find that literature. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it, uh, it it didn't hit as big as. Uh, as he would have hoped. Um, and in general, there's been a tendency to sort of separate the personal views of certain psychologists from what we're going to say that psychology as a field um, might show us. And even if we go with Freud, Freud stated that um, his writings on the psychology of religion is, and his attempt to explain religious uh, religion away as uh, this um, uh, 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 Oedipal, uh, obsessional mm-hmm. neurosis mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Uh, those should not be technically considered part of the psychoanalytic canon. Uh, that's his own thoughts mm-hmm. on this. Uh, but we do sort of get some of these voices uh, when uh, when we see sort of the, the rise and prominence of uh, behaviorism. Uh, we get uh, we, we get some of this stuff from uh, from B. F. Skinner. Uh, but by the time we get into the mid 20th century, uh, I, I don't see as much of that in the literature. And um, the idea of uh, there being a, a psychological argument against religion or, or, or against faith as a way of thinking, it, it, it doesn't seem to have come back very much. In the mainstream scholarly literature, anyway, because we have these decades of research uh, showing that uh, oh, it gets complicated, of course, but overall, uh, people are people just tend to do better uh, when their spiritual lives are firing on all cylinders, 
uh, and uh, we don't see, you know, widespread psychological dysfunction uh, that some would predict. Uh, and, and when we do find undesirable phenomena, I mean, there, there's been decades of research, for example, on uh, religion and prejudice. Um, sometimes religion seems to be associated with making prejudice worse. Other times it seems to be associated with making uh, prejudice less. Uh, it, it, even that ends up lining up with what religiously active people would predict because when we see uh, religiosity associated with worse psychosocial functioning, worse emotional outcomes, uh, greater prejudice, uh, whatever it is, it's usually people doing it wrong. Hmm. Uh, so if I was to uh, appeal to a little Gordon Allport, hmm. um, we find that greater religiosity is associated with, for example, more racism if the religiosity is an extrinsic religiosity. So if you ask the question – so it's not enough to say, do you go to church? You have to say, why do you go to church? And extrinsic religious orientation is using the religion for self-serving ends. So somebody would say, well, I go to church because the happy music makes me feel good uh, and because my parents bring me and I don't want to cause a fight uh, and it's a good place. Uh, you know, churches, by the way, are, are, are very good places to meet nice girls. Uh, so that's why you go to church. <laughs> so you get these ex people who do it for extrinsic reasons. The more religious they are, the worse they tend to do. Uh, intrinsic religiosity, the religion is itself the point. So you go to church. Mm. Great. Why do you go to church? Well, to learn about and worship God. And uh, we find very different patterns uh, when people are actually pursuing the faith the way that the faith is supposed to be pursued than if they sort of manipulate it or use it for their own ends. Hmm. That's that's really interesting, and it occurred to me that this sort of distinction between extrinsic and intrinsic uh, faith um, can sometimes be really difficult to tease out. Uh, like uh, somebody could could uh, could look like they 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 care about actually learning and worshiping God and and uh, having a true faith, but uh, really. Their reasons are fundamentally selfish and, 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 uh, maybe because it gives them some power or, or some other, uh, some other, uh, self-serving end there. But it may be difficult sometimes to, to actually see that, to, 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 uh, to, uh, tease that apart. So I don't know. Oh, yeah, you... it always gets complicated. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I, I tend to think that probably one's practice of faith will follow in the direction in which they were already headed when they got there. I mean, so, certainly people do reform. Um, but if, if people are going to be, are going to tend towards prejudicial attitudes, those attitudes are going to be fueled or very well could be fueled by the church environment that they're in. Um, and, and, and those who maybe aren't Tending in that direction quite as as well, um, or those who genuinely do have a reformation of heart um, are going to find exactly the opposite tendency for that 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 uh, that religious practice to to fuel them towards um, the opposite 
whatever the opposite of prejudice or bigoted attitudes is. Yeah, and I, I think we see lots of examples of both of those all the time. Okay, um, that's that was really, really fascinating, actually. Uh, very enlightening. I um, wasn't – I particularly found it interesting that um, the – one fellow you discussed, uh, Charles, that how he changed his mind over the course of his studies. I always like hearing about about those kinds of stories. Uh, but let's move on. Um, actually, uh, kind of dig into this a little bit deeper. We've been kind of talking about uh, this per- perceived uh, conflict between faith and reason in the society, but we really haven't like we haven't expounded on that. We haven't explained that. So um, I think we should. Uh, uh, go on and talk a little bit more about that. But um, uh, recently, oh, uh, Charles brought up the New Atheists, but uh, recently we've seen this particularly from the New Atheist camp, but also watered-down version elsewhere. But there's been this push to define faith as some sort of claim to knowledge or belief without or even in spite of the evidence. So um, I looked up a few quotes along these lines. Um, I'm just going to throw a few of these out there. I'm not claiming these are 100% representative, but I think they do kind of get at the zeitgeist of this. So um, here's one from uh, Bertrand Russell back near the uh, turn of the 20th century. Uh, We may define faith as a firm belief in something for which there is no evidence. Where there is evidence, no one speaks of faith. We do not speak of faith that two and two are four or that the earth is round. We only speak of faith when we wish to substitute emotion for evidence. So that's one. Um, Here's another one from Richard Dawkins, uh, one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. And finally, we have one from uh, Peter Bogosian, who recently wrote a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. Um, and this is uh, his thoughts on faith, one of his thoughts. Faith is an unclassified cognitive illness disguised as a moral virtue. <clears throat> so these are just a, a few of these. Um, and Charles already talked about how some of this is present in, the, in psychology as well, but I could go on, but I think you get the idea. So, um, Todd, I'm particularly going to ask you this. Um, what do you think about this way of thinking about faith? Uh, how should thinking Christians respond to these criticisms and accusations of poor or rational thinking? And also, uh, to what extent, if any, are these criticisms valid? Um, do they ever have – is there anything we could learn from that? In other words, is there such a thing as bad faith? Um, along these lines, um, how prevalent is it really, and what do we do about it? And finally, on the other hand, is it true that legitimate or good faith sometimes actually does function without evidence or reason to back it up? And should we worry about this as men of science? Okay. You've asked questions that could be answered in an hour or more, uh, and uh, we don't have that time. So, I, I, you know, Bertrand Russell, of course, is famous for his critique of Christianity, um, having written Why I'm Not a Christian, which is a good thing, actually, for Christians to read. I think it's worth 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 the time to read. Um, 
I hesitate to deal too much with Dawkins' statement um, as it's more uh, more obviously, patently mockery um, and not worth the time to respond to in that much detail, although he's saying some of the same things that Russell does. Um, Bogosian, on the other hand, I don't, I, I don't think they're worth engaging with at all. They're just ugly and prejudicial and a, a completely ad hominem attack. I, I don't see anything worthwhile in what he has to say. So, I mean, as far as he goes, uh, I think answer a fool not answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like him. Uh, is is what we ought to obey uh, with regard to something as stupid as that statement. Um, Fair enough. That's my. I mean, that's that's my. You know, now if I were with. Peter in a room. I, I suppose maybe we could, maybe we could construct a dialogue. But I have a hard time dealing with with, with people whose attitude is so stridently disgusting as that. Well, um, I will say this uh, regarding uh, Peter Bogosian. I haven't read his book, um, but I did listen to a recent debate uh, that he did with. Uh, um, I think uh, it was on the Unbelievable program, which is this uh, uh, interesting. Uh, Program that from the UK where they do uh, debates between Christians and non-Christians, um, and he debated a, um, a a philosophy professor, a Christian philosophy professor, who I can't remember his name right now, but he came across on that show. Well, yes, that's it, Tim and Groove. Thank you. He came across on that show as, uh, you know, at least civil, but um, I think a lot of uh, his statements though do definitely rise to this sort of like what. How do you? Why should I even answer that? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, right. but uh, yeah, I I, I I totally get where your uh, your reticence there. But yeah, go ahead and it's, discuss sure. discuss uh, uh, what you want to discuss out of this. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's it's just it's it's challenging to deal at any time with. Any uh, anyone who holds a contrary opinion about something, who comes out of the gates, um, basically calling you a fool, uh, or calling you mentally ill, which 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 is his his tactic. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so to, to argue that faith is unreasonable or not subject to reason is is kind of crazy to me. I mean, I, I think. Um, it's it what it belies is a lack of of really thinking about how people who exercise or possess faith actually operate um now there are boatloads of unthinking practitioners of every faith on the face of the earth um to be sure uh there are christians who um do not think a whit about their about their belief system and about about why they believe what they believe um and i think one of the things that that actually thinking um christians can can really do in serving the world is to be very clear about what we believe and why we believe it and to illustrate the rationality and the reasonableness and the the, the inner logic and the uh, and, and 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 the evidence um, that we hold dear, um, 
to to be winsome in our discussion is really our first and foremost duty i think as christians um if if we are thoughtful about our about our faith um so it's there's a misconception there's a misconception that's based perhaps on stereotypes or on experience with with people who aren't particularly thoughtful people who happen to be christian um and so putting that aside um you know is is the christian faith um devoid of reason certainly not um we can go back and you know even even the lord himself in in um in isaiah uh does reach out to us let us reason together um and and again the word there now i know no hebrew whatsoever but as i understand it the word there really is let us dispute together let us discuss let us talk um in a in a reasoned way um so the bible itself portrays uh, a faith that is one which is deeply engaged intellectually in reasoning and logic um i presume that mostly what Russell and Dawkins in particular are getting at when they say that it is, uh, you know, f- that faith is, um, is they, is believing something in spite of and, or perhaps because of the lack of evidence. What they're really talking about is either the existence of God, uh, the resurrection of Christ, um, or rather than things like the existence of the Decalogue, which nobody's going to dispute, it, 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 it is it is a historic document. Nobody's going to dispute the fact that it exists. The dispute would be over what's the nature of this. Is it a purely human construction, or is uh, is there you know God who has in some way directed and inspired that? Um, that that law that's really what they're getting after and that's what they're really tackling uh it's, uh, sorry the, the 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 contrary is what they're really attacking they're they're attacking these things that they presume there is no evidence for for let's say the resurrection of christ or uh or 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 the miracles of of christ now i guess the you know to to briefly counter that um i would ask on what basis do they believe anything that happened in the deep dark past? And um, my, by golly, the, the the evidence is the same. The evidence of Julius Caesar being murdered in the circumstances in which he was. The belief in uh, any of the emperors of of Rome. Um, the belief in the rulers of the African continent. In the medieval era, how do we get any information about this? Well, it comes to us by documentary evidence. So it is not even the the, the means of passing down the evidences um, that 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 Christians would, might point to for particular things that 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 we believe. It's the things that we believe themselves. And doubts that are cast upon those things, not whether or not there are manuscripts that that describe these. I mean, there's there there are more manuscripts, uh, more there's more documentary evidence for um, Jesus Christ Himself than there are for many historical figures. Um, so, you know, it, it it to me, as I see it, it doesn't even boil down to evidence or lack of evidence. It boils down to what is believed and whether one one 
accepts those uh, those things which are spoken of um, in in what has been passed down either orally or uh, or in uh, on paper. Anyway, your thoughts on on those things? Yeah, I I I, I see what you're what you're saying there. Um, and uh, I guess um, the only thing I would add to that um, is that uh, there just seems to be this idea that there's this popular conception, and I guess what I'm trying to do is get at the root of why there is this conception amongst these folks. Like when you read Bertrand Russell, who was, you know, came, you know, a hundred years or so before the current crop of new atheists, and they're saying similar things. Um, there's got to be something that they're keying in on there. Well, there, I, and, I, I think, I think, I think there is, and I, but I think there are lots of people who say, um, who, who promote this divide between faith and reason, who are themselves believing individuals. Sure. They actually believe that the, there is a distinction. And so sure. when Christians themselves are saying this, it's, it, it's, it's easy for somebody who isn't a Christian to echo those same ideas and to believe right. that that's the essence of Christianity. And yeah, I guess that's sort of what I was getting at is that you do see people who, who will say, you know, things like, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, those kinds of, those kinds of things or those kinds of attitudes or people who don't, will just brush aside scientific evidence for something and say, well, I don't need that. I have, I, I have faith. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see people say these kinds of things. And it seems to me that that's what, what these folks are getting at. And to the extent that, that people do that, I, I have to agree with that criticism. That's what I was trying to get mm -hmm. at with the, the, the idea of what could be considered bad faith. And sure. I guess I would call that bad faith or blind faith. Right. So to speak. And um, as long as we restrict ourselves to that, I, I don't mm -hmm. really have a problem with the criticisms. Um, maybe I wouldn't go as far as Balgozian and say that this is some kind of cognitive illness. This is that's obviously ridiculous. But mm -hmm. but these other things about people using faith as a cop out or or as a substitute for mm -hmm. worrying about actually digging into reasoning and evidence, I right. think that does happen. Sure. Um, so my my opinion on that is that, sure, I can link arms with Bertrand Russell and Richard Dawkins when it comes to that, but I think what you're saying here is very important and and uh, deserves to be shouted from the rooftops that that's not how um, how uh, uh, Christians uh, should be using faith. Um, yeah. We should be – I mean like you said, you gave a lot of uh, scriptural support for reasoning together. I'll, I'll just go ahead and read First Peter 3.15. Mm -hmm. um, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer or another translation say reason to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's the reason. <laughs> but do mm -hmm. this with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. So um, – that's something that that I think is right there, very clearly talking about reasoning mm -hmm. and giving evidence and mm -hmm. discussion. And so, if you, I mean, I think that we need to continue to just hammer this point home. I also think we should call out um, cop out type faith when we see it, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, and hopefully we can start to start to change this uh, sort of attitude that's out there. Um, but that's just, that's sort of my uh, soapbox mm -hmm. on that. Um, 
Well, can and, I can I interrupt one more one more thing? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that one of the one of the issues among Christians is that we have a very, I mean, there's two things going on. I think. Um, well, there are at least two. Right? <laughs> I mean, we we do have this strain of thought that maybe goes back to A.D. White and you know science and the destruction of religion, you know, in 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 real warfare. That there's this this absolute conflict between science and by science, I sort of expand that to include you know detailed exposition of 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 observation and 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 um, and reasoning. Um, versus faith, we bought into that to some degree because there 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 was a real a conflict um, among some practitioners in in you know a hundred years ago or, or or what have you, like we see rising again today at times. Um, but we often today the reason why we maybe fall fall prey to that is because we don't go back far enough in history and look at the early church. We don't look at Augustine and Anselm, who both argued um, for this this idea that I believe so that I may understand. I understand so that I may believe this interplay between my mind, my intellect, my thought life, my reasoning and my faith is a very much a two way conversation within the believer and that goes back to the early days of the church and 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 modern christians when do we ever think about the history of our uh, uh our religious community um very often we don't we're very often yes not nearly presentist often. and we just don't look back sure. and we should be because we can see a lot of things that are out of accord with the way people thought about and 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 exposited the faith. Oh, I can I totally can get on board with that. I've seen plenty of evidence for that in my own uh, communities and discussions. But uh, yeah, um, so that that's great. Uh, let's see, I lost my train of thought here. Right. Um, so we've been talking about about this uh, this idea of uh, faith and reason being. Um, being uh, sort of uh, feeding off of each other in in the life of a, of a Christian, and uh, I guess what, one thing I would add to that, real quick, is that um, it seems to me that this sort of thing happens whether or not one is a religious believer. Anyway, um, uh, atheists have this sort of interplay between quote unquote faith and and their reason. They believe something and they give reasons for it. It's true of pretty much. It's just part of the human nature. Um, but um, when it comes to uh, the Christian faith, I think that it's something where we direct that energy towards a goal, uh, towards trust in God and, and so on. Um, so there, there's sort of a, a direction that it's, that it's all going. I'm kind of just spitballing here, but that's just something that had, had been occurring to me while you were discussing that. It's like it seems like this is not something that's – Particular to mm -hmm. reli religion or or Christianity, um, but uh, be that as it may, mm. um, I think uh, we should probably tr start wrapping this up because we're we're getting uh, towards the end of our our time. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to give uh, ask Charles about to bring Charles back in this conversation because he's been kind of quiet here um, is uh, this sort of uh, idea of faith making these um, 
truth claims uh about uh about the world um so uh i'm not going to pick particularly on uh Malgozian here but he said some things along these lines that uh that that religious faith makes certain uh knowledge or truth claims about the world and then if you are able to show those to be false or unsubstantiated by reason or evidence then you say well faith has failed here so this is sort of looking at it as faith as being some epistemology some way of knowing about the world so um and on his view it's a failed one but it's not just his there's a lot of this attitude out there so um how to what extent is faith really this kind of way of knowing to what extent is an is it an epistemology um do we use faith as christians to gain knowledge about god um or is that just an entirely wrong way of looking at the at faith um and uh you know along those same lines can somebody have faith in god um without claiming to actually have knowledge of god if that makes any sense. So that, that's just something I wanted to throw at Charles here at the end um, uh, to uh, give his thoughts on. Okay. Uh, well, I am going to pick on Bogosian. Um, <clears throat> so I listened to the same uh, podcast that uh, that you mentioned. Uh, so Book of Nature podcast is giving a shout out to Unbelievable. Um, and that's put so, on by uh, the uh, premier Premier Christian uh, Radio. Yeah, right. In in the yeah. UK, Justin Brierley hosts that. It's a great show. I it like is. I, I, I like it. And you mentioned the civility. That's one of the things that I like about that podcast is uh, uh, they can bring people of very different perspectives together, and for the most part, anyway, have grown up discussions uh, without you know slamming all over each other. It's it's pretty good. So anyway, uh, I did listen to that podcast, uh, Bogosian uh, debating uh, Tim McGrew, and the the argument uh, tended to center on uh, around this definition of faith. So Bogosian is putting forward this definition that faith is uh, belief without knowledge. McGrew uh, was countering that that's not the real definition of faith. The real definition of faith is confidence or trust. Uh, so, uh, what I did, so I, I did, I did a couple of things. First off, uh, I borrowed my wife's theological dictionary of the New Testament and, uh, looked up the entry on Pistis and, uh, and then picked her brain. We had a, a good discussion about it the other night. Uh, and what we find is that the Greek word, uh, carries both meanings simultaneously. Uh, so the original, uh, or the, the earliest, the, the, the early, uh, Use of the Greek word was used to mean um, confidence, trust, or being wor- or worthy of trust. Uh, by the time we get to the Hellenistic and New Testament era, uh, it's taken on the secondary meaning of belief. But even then, uh, what it implies is piety beyond uh, a mere theoretical conviction. Uh, so we don't see Pistis, for example, uh, connected to the intellectual ex- acceptance of a philosophical theory. Uh, and in Hebrews 11. Um, one, uh, I, I sort of got I, I got schooled a little bit when I started. I, I was focusing on Hebrews 11 uh, on verse one, uh, and I got told we we can't focus just on one verse. We have to take context into account, especially because the rest of Hebrews 11, the rest of this chapter, expands and clarifies uh, the statement in verse one. 
And the word pistis and and uh, the variant and piste, uh, meaning by faith, uh, is used in a way in Hebrews 11 uh, in various forms that, that does not separate the two meanings. So faith is used in connection with knowledge claims. So verse three, knowing that God created the universe, uh, and to faithful obedience, to tr- to having confidence and to placing trust in God. So verse eight, uh, Abraham leaves his home country. Uh, because he trusted God's promise. Now, uh, in this debate, we have these two um, rival definitions, uh, and McGrew kept arguing that uh, the the most accurate view of this is faith as confidence or trust. But no matter how many times uh, McGrew uh, pointed to the definition of faith as confidence, Bogosian insisted that that didn't matter because it's only fancy-schmancy, highly-educated Christian academics who might use a definition like that. Um, Right. I, but, I thought that was really <coughs> bizarre, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, what he asserted is that 99% of believers will actually um, use their faith as a claim to knowledge without evidence. Uh, McGraw, McGrew argued that that percentage should actually be closer to 1% of believers that would uh, have faith as uh, knowledge without evidence, and uh, 99% would say that it is confidence or trust. Uh, well, so... I wanted to test that, so knowing that we would be discussing this topic. So, <clears throat> so stand back, everyone. I'm going to try science. So what I did, I created a, I created a quick and dirty survey using SurveyMonkey.com. Uh, 106 Christians completed the survey. Uh, these were mostly undergraduates. Uh, I just uh, hold on one second there. I just want to say I am impressed I, that you actually made a survey. For this episode, that that is that's amazing. Okay. A scientific experiment, great. That's right. Continue. Sorry. Uh, now, so these are mostly undergraduates. These are uh, mostly students who had not yet completed uh, an undergraduate degree uh, program. So uh, these are not exactly the advanced degree holding Christians that Bogosian. Uh, would point to. So 106 Christians completed the survey, and what I did was I presented our two possible definitions of faith. Uh, I pulled from uh, from the Oxford English Dictionary uh, the definition of faith, strong belief without evidence, and complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Uh, and I thought about a couple of possible different ways to structure this. Uh, since Bogosian and McGrew were doing an either-or, I could have said, please indicate which one best fits uh, your experience. But I thought that was a little on the primitive side. So uh, instead, what I did was uh, I gave an option of responding to each of them on a Likert scale uh, with responses ranging uh, from not at all to completely – uh, to the res- uh, responding to um, asking them to indicate how well this definition de- uh, describes the way in which faith functions in their lives. So we have a five-point scale uh, ranging from one, not at all applies to me, to uh, five completely. So uh, mean agreement with the first definition, belief without evidence, was 2.78, uh, which it falls in the category of slightly on that five-point scale, uh, and mean agreement with the second definition was 4.23, which would, on the five-point scale, would be between very and completely. Um, a t-test showed these the difference between the two means to be statistically significant. 
uh, indicating substantially higher endorsement of the definition of faith as confidence rather than uh, faith as evidence, uh, evidenceless belief. Now, as I said, uh, this is something I just sort of threw together uh, rather than a high quality survey, uh, but I'll call it pre- I'll call it preliminary indicators. Uh, preliminary indicators seem to be uh, that while McGrew may have been overstating it a bit by claiming that only around one percent of believers would endorse the definition of faith as belief without evidence, uh, it does look like there is a strong tendency in my sample to prefer the definition of faith. Uh, as trust or com- confidence. And now that being said again, uh, there was a, I, I put a space for comments and many of the comments were critical of me, uh, for creating an artificial division in the definition. So, uh, it seemed more like that even though they leaned toward, uh, faith operating in their lives as confidence or trust, uh, the fact that I made a distinction was problematic for them. So based on these data uh, and on the fact that the Bible does not separate faith from belief uh, from faith from trust, uh, what I would say is that uh, the error made uh, by people like Russell and Dawkins and Bogosian is that what they have done is sort of torn a piece off of a definition and pretended that their fragment of a definition is the entire definition. Interesting. So I, I like that a lot, actually, because uh, I've I've uh, sort of I would have been one of those people who would have said, no, 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 it's not it's not claims to knowledge. It, it's it's trust or confidence. And I, I would have leaned toward that. But um, at the same time, um, you have to you have to acknowledge that the scripture doesn't really break it down like that. And um, and that when you really think about it, yeah, you are making you are considering this as generating some kind of knowledge you're claiming some kind of knowledge by saying i have trust in god that you 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 have some expectation that god actually exists of course and you can bring whatever reason you want to bear and, and evidence you want to bear to that but it's still that idea of knowledge is still involved there so um i think that's great that that people keyed in on that and said well this there's this distinction there and um maybe it's not a really good distinction so, and you know, I think you're right, uh, that, that, uh, that, uh, the Russells and Dawkins and, and so on err, uh, make that error. And I think that we need as uh, believers to also be careful that we don't make the same kind of error and overstate our case along, you know, in, in response to that by saying, oh, no, no, it's, it's just trust, you know, it's just this. We need to be a little bit more nuanced about it. Uh, do you, do you agree with that sentiment more or less or? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I think the, um, in many ways, the, the bottom line, I, I think, issue does revolve around the authority of the one whose word you are believing. And, uh, or the authority, you know, maybe it is not a person, but maybe it is something, um, experimental evidence, for instance, as scientists might want to, to look at. Um, and, so it is both – I mean there is knowledge wrapped up in this. We could go on for a long time talking about faith as epistemology or as a, you know, an epistemological framework. Um, it might be worthwhile to do so. Um, 
Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I see this as just sort of touching on these things. Oh, yeah. We can always bring these, bring specific things up in future episodes right. because this is just such a huge thing. We can't cover everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's I I do find that you know finding a significant difference there does at least tell us something. I mean I think we sure you know have to recognize that. No, I think I think that's that was really interesting. So thanks for that, Charles. I again I'm impressed that you you did that. That's that's great. Um, okay, well folks, uh, we've kind of gone talking here for over an hour. So uh, again, we've only barely scratched the surface of this 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 topic, and uh, um, I think that it was a good start, though. Really, some interesting discussions, but um, and these were some pretty heavy hitting questions. Uh, so I appreciate you guys sticking through that. Um, but I'd like both of you to uh, to uh, as we wrap up to make a few just a few last words on this on this topic on this faith and reason interplay, and uh, particularly I'd like you to. To get a little bit practical and say, if you if you uh, were going to give some advice to a young Christian intellectual who is struggling with this issue, because there's a lot of them out there, um, how to balance their their desire to be rational and reasonable and and, and critical thinkers with this uh, this uh, concept of faith, and in particular something we didn't talk about, but this idea of a childlike faith, um, a trust in God. How how what what, what kind of advice? Would you would you give to them? Uh, well, the first thing that I would do is assume that any Christian intellectual worth the title must be a science fiction nerd, and uh, drop in a quote from Babylon Five, season four, episode twenty-two: "Faith and reason are the shoes on your feet. You'll go farther with both than just one." <laughs> <coughs> Sounds so, good. Yeah. Second thing uh, would be to uh, momentarily, anyway, get serious um, and encourage uh, the. Um, the embrace of this more nuanced definition of faith as uh, as trust or confidence uh, worked in with the other uh, aspect of this. And, uh, once we do that, then faith and reason are not in some sort of zero-sum game with every increase in knowledge corresponding to a decrease in faith, as Russell uh, would have said there. Um, faith is based on rational and critical consideration of the evidence. Uh, I'll go with well, one example. Uh, we're short on time. Uh, so my wife... Uh, has over 10 years of experience working in banking, so she handles the fin- family finances. Uh, if I see her working on the computer and she tells me that she paid the bills online and has moved some money from one account to another, I believe her. Uh, now, that is faith. I am believing something that I did not see, but nobody could accuse me of belief without evidence because I know her. Uh, I know her qualifications, and I know that her character does not include lying to me. Uh, So my faith is grounded in knowledge, and the more I know her, the stronger my faith in her. Uh, So uh, contrast that if some random stranger just sort of walked up to me and said, I paid the bills. I would have very little faith in what that person had said, uh, and I certainly would not give that person access to my money. Especially if you said I paid your bills. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, so it's interesting that you in, uh, invoked the term there, childlike faith. Um, yeah, that, I, I, that, something that, we did not even talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so that's in um, so that, that term is sometimes used uh, to specifically refer to a complete faith without evidence, without reason. To, but if we turn to some developmental psychology, um, children develop their interpersonal trust in the first few years of life. And they do that 
based on their personal experience with the trustworthiness of their primary caregiver. So even childlike faith is faith based on reason and evidence. I like that. So as for myself, um, the more I focus on the evidence uh, and the arguments, the more support I see for the Christian faith. So I would encourage uh, a young Christian intellectual to seek out the Christian scholars who have addressed these kinds of issues and who publish on this, historians, philosophers, biologists, theologians, psychologists, um, bringing together the life of the mind and a life spent following Jesus can at times be challenging because it requires you to do your homework. But it creates opportunities for a rich and robust growth, both intellectually and spiritually. Sounds great. So, Todd, do you have anything yet to Goodness. add to that? Uh, could I add anything to that? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's awfully it's awfully difficult. difficult um, no, I, I do I do think um, again, and I, I did bring this up briefly uh, a few minutes ago. The the question of the childlikeness of faith in, in in many ways is not naivete about about what you believe, but it's it, I, I believe what is most important there is the um, the acceptance of the authority of the one who is speaking to you, and um, more so than anything else. And I, I really like the fact that Charles brought up the, the, this notion of, of children developing their trust in their parents or other authorities based on their experience with them. I mean, it's 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 crucial. Um, so I like that. I mean, one thing that I do, you know, I encourage with my students is asking of questions, um, and and not being afraid to think, and think deeply and think hard about the things that perhaps, and I won't say this is true in all cases, but I know it's true in some. Perhaps some youth pastors along the way told them, oh, "Don't worry about that. Don't bother with that. Just believe it." Um, I, you know, I think that's poor advice, and so I, I do try to show them, um, again, as I mentioned before, too, the historic Christian faith, the historic um, practice of the faith by uh, by the, you know the Calvins and the Luthers and the Knoxes and the and the real you know the, the those who really were engaged with their minds every bit as much as with their hearts um, in their in their Christian practice. And, um, and just, you know, to, to, to talk with them freely, to be willing to, you know, the, the big thing for me as a, as a young believer, um, was those who I learned from and had those kinds of talks with, um, that, that got me, that got me going really with the pairing of, of my, my intellect with my faith. Um, and I think nothing can really substitute for that. Well, I completely agree with that, and uh, I have had similar experiences. So I, I think those are great pieces of advice, and I don't really have anything to add to it. So um, with uh, on that note, um, uh, Todd, I think you're on the horn for next time. Uh, so what what are we going to talk about? I am. Well, so this kind of came about because of Chen Belay's question. Um, I think what it would be really interesting for us to explore, and it doesn't have to be limited to, to films, but films come to mind immediately. But I want to talk about the rise of the apocalyptic or dystopian uh, genre of film and literature and, and why it is. 
why it is we're fascinated with this kind of thing, and perhaps talk about films we've seen and things that have been uh, particularly meaningful. I know I like them. Um, Dan, I, I believe you like them. Yeah, I just have this this fascination, which I'd like to know where it com- comes from. Right. So we're going to ask Charles for some help. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought that would be a fun show to do. So sounds, uh, sounds good look for that in March. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, folks, it's thanks for sticking around for another long episode of uh, the Book of Nature. Uh, and uh, the Book of Nature is a production of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our intern is Zach Schmidt. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. And uh, until next time, have a great month.